Hello, friends. Welcome to the Best Speech Podcast. I am your host, Mike Pacchione. And today, I'm with one of my old Portland friends, the great Scott Erickson, a.k.a. Scott the Painter. Scott is, and I asked him, how do you want me to define you? And he said, I can't be defined. Uh-huh. Typical Enneagram for it. Uh, <laughs> but Scott's an artist. He's an author. He's a performer. He's a speaker. He's a painter. We used to go to the same church in Portland, and there were times where you would paint on stage during the sermon. Super interesting. Was, yeah. My crazy uh, youth. Yes, I did. Scott, Scott uh, in your words, trying to create a visual vocabulary for the spiritual journey. Scott is the author of uh, Honest Advent. So that's a book. And Say Yes, and Say Yes is also the title of his everlasting show slash speech. Uh, Scott and I met at an arts retreat, because Mongo used to have those arts retreat, those arts retreats. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think we right. bonded over making fun of Paul Ramey. So if you're ever meeting someone new yep. for the first time, if you have like a mutual friend you can make fun of, good connection point. Uh, <laughs> but Scott, Scott has traveled all over the country, all over the world giving different talks. And I thought it'd be a great person to talk about um, creating a one-man show. Uh, Scott, tell us about Say Yes. That's the name of your show. Tell us, what is Say Yes about? Yeah. The whole title is Say Yes, A Liturgy of Not Giving Up on Ourselves. Say Yes is a multimedia comedy storytelling, mental health, spiritual art show talk about the voice of giving up in our lives and then kind of the, our practices to counteract that it's so it's a discussion about the spectrum of giving up, which suicide is on. Yes. But also just kind of giving up on our dreams, certain aspects of our life. And what is the kind of the conversation about that? And so uh, it's, yeah, it's a way of discussing that in a fun non-clinician non-fair you know like i'm like i'm not a therapist i go to therapy so it's like i'm trying to do it in an entertaining way um to talk about these kind of like real things we all kind of butt up against especially like you know and discuss one of the main subject matters is like we live in a massive culture of comparison and and how do we move from comparison to contribution and kind of giving ways of doing that so yeah liturgy just means the work of the people Throughout the show, people are standing up and doing things, and that, and so we're we're making the show together. That's why it's called the liturgy of not giving up on ourselves. It's not intentionally religious. It's more using the format of how do you make a ceremony? How do you make a transformational ceremony together? And I invite the audience to help me make that, which is really, which is really fun as the presenter to let, because then it's new all the time. It's different every time. Um, Scott, you've done all kinds of speaking. You've taught people how to speak. I'm curious as a starting point, like what is your superpower as a speaker? Wow. Wow. Well, I, um, when I get nervous about talking, uh, about speaking, uh, uh, one of the things that really helps kind of solidify me is, uh, like finds me, finds the grounding for how to do it as I just go, uh, all anybody wants is for Scott Erickson to show mm. up. And because usually my anxiety is about the idea of what I'm supposed to be accomplishing, which in another way says like, I want to be great like this person or that person or whatever. And when I give permission to just show up as myself, who every now and then gets like 
trips over his words and makes mistakes, uh, who has a uh, weird or, you know, like just my, my own personal idiosyncrasies. I have like a, you know, a few jokes. If I get true, you know, I'll just stop and be like, take two or, you know, just to, and, and I, I just give permission to, to re just to be myself in that thing. I, when I was, I taught a course uh, on public speaking. And one of the things I said is, you know, when, when the light shines on you, that moment as a speaker, it can be very scary um, because you're being seen and it's very intimidating to be seen, especially by a large audience. You know, sometimes a small audience, you might feel okay, but when it's a large audience, you'd be like, Oh no, because now I can be touched. I can be seen. I can, I, people are, and if you are, <laughs> if you're trying to hide something, it's, it's the, those lights are shining on you. And one of the like kind of mental things that I offer people is to go, if you, if you view the light as like a, you know, a spotlight, you're escaping from prison. Yeah. And you got, and you got, you got spotted. You're trying, you're trying to do something sneaky and people found you out and you're like, uh Oh, you're going to see me for who I really am, which is like a, uh, you know, it's kind of dealing with imposter syndrome. You can view the spotlight like that. I say when the lights shine on you, imagine it's like you're turning on a lamp in your living room because your friends came over and you want to have a conversation with them and you turned on the light so you could see each other and you could sit and be, it's just don't like move that spotlight from like shining on your uh, imposter syndrome or your vulnerabilities or whatever, but go, Hey, this is a chance for me to offer a conversation to those that I'm with. And uh, that, that just helps me as, as like a visual cue for when I, when I'm like moving up to the stage or the lights are shining on me. I, I, I just kind of imagine that I'm turning on the lamp in my living room and going, this is a chance I can have a conversation with somebody. Oh man, that is so good. Yeah. I don't know. We should continue, Scott. That's really good. Do you, <laughs> do you feel, and by my speaking book, thank you. <laughs> I don't, I don't have one yet. Do you feel that, Okay, so you're turning on the light in your living room. You're having picture it as you're having friends over for conversations. That means, yeah, friends are generous. They're understanding. They're not waiting to jump on you because you said um by accident or lost your spot. Yeah, this this doesn't negate like your preparation. Sure. I, you know, I, I understand when we are going to present, we want to, you know, quote unquote, kill it. We want to, we want to see like, seem like we know what we're doing. We want to, we want to feel good about that um, scenario. Oftentimes I feel like feeling good is, is feeling in control. And I, that is true. I also think there are moments though, where, and maybe it's just because I'm, like with say yes, because I've done it like close to a hundred times, I have muscle memory on all the words. So for me, I, like I can, I can be thinking about something else while the words are just coming out now, which is a weird and delightful yeah. experience. But what that allows me to do, because when you first start on a speech or something, you're just like so focused on what am I saying? And then what's cool about having to do something over and over and over again is you get to evolve into like, well, how does it feel to be in this space? How does it feel to be with these people? How am I using my body? How am I? And, and now I'm getting into these spots about like, instead of, and this, this is 
I'm not a trained actor. I'm not a trained theater major. I, you know, if I if there was theater at my high school, maybe that would have changed the trajectory of my life. I don't know. But I'm one of the things I'm learning as I go is about how much how I'm I'm learning how to embody the speech. Meaning, uh, I took the time to kind of write out my thoughts and feelings and put it into a a not boring cognitive way. But as I've now memorize those words and stuff i'm also entering into like being the embodiment on in front of people so when i'm saying something about my own despair i'm not just like using the words like now i'm trying to go like what is what if i was to say this not acting if i was just to say this to a friend how would i act how would i physically say these words how would i say that and now i've been like entering into doing that in front of people and it feels really vulnerable to say something that is like despairing and then to act that out as well because and and and, and I've never talked this out so thank you for the chance to talk it out is uh is because like often the way we want to portray ourselves to everybody is like I got my stuff together I'm strong I uh I'm 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 well versed I'm very smart I'm very put together you know and to allow these vulnerabilities um which is vulnerabilities aren't necessarily our weaknesses and limitations as much it's our is it's our relationship to those weaknesses and limitations um to allow people to see my in my relationship to my weaknesses and limitations becomes a way i think people appreciate it because i i, I mean i think people connect because of weaknesses and limitations not because of successes that's where we find solidarity with each other um, is in those places of, so, so I've been trying as I continue as a speaker to, uh, intentionally take risks, intentionally have moments where I, I'm not strong, <laughs> intentionally build in moments to where I'm just like, well, let's see how that goes. And, and, and that is ridiculous to offer to invite somebody to do that right at the beginning of their speaking career. But that's just how it's evolved for me because like, the way that I want to, the way that I communicate it to people is like, I'm, I'm trying to portray and give an idea and give a transformation, but I'm also in the experience too. And I'm there to have the experience as well. That's the, that's, that's the other thing that's really evolved for me is like, I think when you start being a speaker, you're like, I'm just here to like give information yeah, or tell a story or something. Brain. Yeah. And now it's much more like, and now we take this as an artist, like, so I am a trained painter. Um, and what the process of painting is a very hidden process. And it's frustrating halfway through every painting and every art piece I've ever made. I've, I freaking hated it. And I wanted to give up. And I <laughs> sometimes I have. And, and then you push on through and there's a surprise on the other side of completing it. And then that would that 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 painting is it is about something, but it's also an artifact to you of a transformational process you went through. And I, I can see the same thing in speeches where it's like, I've been doing talks for my whole life from, you know, like little, little things at like school and youth group. And, you know, because I partook in like religion, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like speaking in religion. And then I like started doing like, speaking at retreats. I was like a youth leader for a while. So I had to give like weekly talks to students, you know, so I've been like talking my doing speeches my whole life, but 
Now I'm very much interested in, in being like the person who's in the transformational process as well, which is like, why am I up here telling you this stuff if I can't be a person who's also um, in the process of having that experience with you? Isn't it all amazing that we're here together and this has happened? Okay. Anyways, so- that's like some inside base update. I don't know if that's like that for me as as a speaker he, who's evolving, I'm very I'm really interested in that experience. So here's my question for you, because say yes, yes as a show. It's not like a sad show, Mm-mm. but there's sadness in it. So, yes, uh, it's Thursday. You're having like this wonderful day skipping around. The sun is out. Oh, my gosh. Look at these lilies. And my dog wants to play with me. And my kids are listening to everything I say. And now I've got this show tonight <laughs> and I need to get a little sad. Like, is that something you have to do? Oh, me? Like, yes. I have to get sad? Yeah. No. No. Say Yes is my attempt at a comedy. Um, I'm not like a comedian, as in my goal is like, uh, you know, laugh economy. Like, how am I getting somebody to laugh? Boom. Almost like every three sentences. Um, but there is very intentional jokes and humor all throughout the thing. Um, where, but we... We get, I wanted to, you know, an early muse was like, I wanted to make a church service about suicide because I'd never been to one. And, and, and as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, if you made a church service, which are mostly boring, like we've all been to a religious service and you're like, oh my God, this is so boring. Like I want to (laughs) die. And I was like, man, if you're at a service about suicide and you want to die, that's very an- antithetical to the whole thing. And that kind of like made me giggle. And that giggle was like, oh, what if you made something weird and a, and a comedy and like a more of like an art show? And it's not, it's not like head on about suicide. It's about the spectrum of giving up. Because like I've had experiences where my dad's never going to listen to this, but like no offense, Mike. But like my dad, you know, my dad has spent a lot of his life watching five hours of TV a night, just like looking for something to give life you know, importance. And, and I'm not saying he gave up on himself, but there was definitely like now later on as an older man, he's like, Oh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And I was like, well, you had a lot of time. Yeah. You had five hours a day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you had, I mean, and I, I don't want to take away from like working a hard job and being exhausted at the end of the day, but like we, with our phones, with video games, with drinking and drugs or whatever, Whatever it is, we've all experienced some kind of like, I just want to like put that dream, that ambitious part of myself to rest. And I'd rather just do this. I'd rather give up and do this instead. And so I, I was like, there's this spectrum of kind of giving up. It's isn't nobody just like wakes, you know, it's a it's a it's a road of, you know, death by paper cuts that leads to suicide. And, and in my own suicidal ideation. I was like, oh, there's some undercurrents of all these conversations. Anyways, so when I I started, I developed some practices for myself. This is where I all came from that really worked. And when you make content for a living, you're like, oh, man, I should monetize this. And I was like, don't be a dick. Like, you know, make sure it works. So I I sat on it for a couple of years. And then at some point, I felt like the muse was like, I want you to talk about this. So I was like, how do I make a delivery system for mental health, spiritual practices that doesn't feel like a boring ass 
adult religious ceremony, you know, or a clinician at like a seminar. And they're just like, here's some charts about how your brain works. Like who gives a fuck? You know, like I, I, I appreciate when like neurologists, like here's what's going on in your brain. It's like, cool. How how am I supposed to internalize that? Like, how am I supposed to bring that to my everyday life uh, without pulling out a brain chart all the time? So I, I wanted to make something that was fun and interesting. That was image oriented. That felt like I'm I like I like to say I'm like I'm not a therapist, I go to therapy. And I translated my stuff that I learned through therapy and stuff into something that was exciting to partake in. So uh so it doesn't so sure it maybe hits on some sad things, but it's mostly like you know, we've all had that moment where we're crying and then somebody makes a joke and we laugh and it's such a relief. Like that is you know, for me, I'm like nodding to the reality of of our deep pain and sadness, but through the solve of jokes and and weird stuff and some karaoke and things like that. What is your when you've received criticism on the show or like your Instagram gets this, I feel like a fair bit. What's your process for responding to criticism? And I don't I don't mean responding like you're interacting with the person necessarily, but just what's your own internal process? Oh, I didn't like this part of the show. You shouldn't have made a joke about that, et cetera, et cetera. How does how does Scott handle that? Yeah. Look, I think if everybody likes your stuff, you should be concerned because nobody should like ev- you know, one a piece of art shouldn't be loved by everybody. But I don't get a lot of criticism on my show. Like it's weird. Like from college students to like retirees, they all kind of love it. The only notes that I've gotten from people I really care are by other professional speakers. So one of my heroes came to one of my shows and the next day we were hanging out and she was like, can I give you some notes? And I was like, absolutely. And she was just like, it's entirely too long. (laughs) And I was like, I know, I know it's too long. And this other guy who used to run a record label and stuff, he came to one of my shows and he was a friend of a friend and he was like, he was like, can I give you some notes? And he's like, it's too long, but I wouldn't cut anything out of it, <laughs> which is a funny note. He's like, everything you're saying is great. It's just too long. I don't know what you would cut. Um, but okay, so that we were talking about critiques. So I get that the, the critique. This is the, the whole Scott on. Erickson experience. Everyone, this is what it's like to be friends with him too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we can, talk about inst- we can talk about Instagram critiques, but like uh, we... But speech critiques, um, you know, if I, here's a good rule that I've learned uh, because I've made some art that rubs people the wrong way. Um, The real work is to ask yourself all the hard questions before you release something in the world. And I do that in tiers of personal friendships. You know, we could even say a nod to Jesus, have your three, have your 12, have your 70, you know, like. I have a small group of friends where I'll be like, hey, I'm working on this. What do you think? And it's a safe spot for me to work things out. And then I'll take it to a larger group. And then maybe I'll take it to an email group or like my Patreon following or something like that. And be like, I'm, you know, and then I can get feedback through that before I release it to, you know, the masses. So I think that is uh, helpful. Um, but gosh, you know, it's the worst, but we live in an age of just you know, comment sections and it sucks to make things and then have somebody be like, you're dumb, you're stupid, you know, all that. Or, you know, just being dollar tree. Yeah. Dollar tree. 
and uh, a budget superhero. I like being a budget superhero. Budget superhero. Um, because I have my superpower is crying. <laughs> How do you? <laughs> what's your what's your superpower? His feelings. It's feelings. It's very feeling. Feeling. Being honest. So, um, yeah, I mean, but sometimes stuff gets under your skin, and you really and I have to like I, to quote Jewel from Pieces of You. I'm sensitive, and I'd like to stay that way. I I don't want to become hardened. I, I think my sensitivity is a way that I can stay connected. So when things hurt, I go to the people who know me and love me and go, this really hurt me. Um, in fact, I have a few friends that I'll just be like, can you, this got in my head. I got really comparative because I was death scrolling on Instagram. Could you remind me that I'm not this, this, and this, but I'm actually doing so, you know, like, and it's helpful to have people that's remind so great. you who you are. It's yeah. when you lose it. Yeah. That's so great to have. So I got this comment. I know it's not true. Can you tell me it's not true? Yeah. Can you help remind me that it's not true? Help me remember that this is not true. I love that. Yeah. Cause real. sometimes you don't have the faculty or the strength to do it. Just do it on your own because the inward voice, you know, something, something gets you because you're like, you actually believe a part of that might be true. And that, and that's why it's having a hard time. Yeah, there's like this paranoia you know? that maybe I've seen the world the wrong way the whole time, and everybody's been playing a joke on me, and this yeah. actually isn't worth the money. Yeah, that's what the paranoia is. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I feel like this. I don't know if you guys get into this all the time on the podcast, but like, I hate watching videos of me speaking. Yeah, nobody likes that because I'm like, who is this idiot up there? <laughs> and so what? Yeah, and I have to go. I have to go. Look, a couple hundred people come and see your show. You've had people tell you would change their life. Maybe the way you're perceiving yourself isn't what's actually true. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> you're just that's just your own stuff. Like because you know it's it yeah it just I go uh, that conclusion isn't that's just my, a conclusion based on assumptions that I'm building. Yeah, which is, you know. And yeah. video is a really interesting thing. It's a good practice for you to watch yourself on video, unquestionably. Yeah. That said, it's not the same experience. It's not. No. The Unless no. the video, unless, like, just as an example, I tell speakers this all the time. I'm like, okay, so unless the person recording has also set up a camera behind you in addition to the one that's on you and there's microphones facing out. Yeah. You don't actually have the experience of what it was like to look at the audience, react to the audience the laughter that picks up on the microphone or the laughter that picks up on the video is not as loud. I yeah. remember the first time yeah. I gave a keynote and I was like, Oh man, that was awesome. Like, I can't wait to get the film and it'll be awesome. Cause yeah. everybody's laughing, but the, <laughs> the mic was all the way in the back. So it just found, it felt like, it felt like chuckling. You were just, <laughs> yeah, just getting the, the littlest response. Well, because, and then watching it, then I'm like, well, why did I go so slow? Because hearing it on video, it sounded like chuckling. I'm like, why is this guy waiting for applause? This sounds like a comedian who's no good. And yeah. it's because in real life, the laughter was louder up front. And uh, anyway, all of that to say, yeah, if you're a speaker, you should watch, watch yourself on video. But remind yourself also, it's not the same exact experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's great. I'm curious, your process of coming out with visuals for... Your show. Well, what I, my assumption is in general, 
Scott figures out what he's going to say first and then attaches visuals to it. Is that true or is it visuals the whole time? The Yeah, the question I ask, well, there's some things that just, yeah, it's both and. I mean, most of the time I'm trying to have a, a concept and I go, how would, what's a picture that would help us understand this? That's mostly how things approach. But then I think in the next one, I've been trying to look, I've been like paying attention to visual things that throw me off and because the next show I want to do is about paradox. So I've just been trying to pay attention to like visual paradoxes. So that is very much an observable thing or something I have to, if something stands out to me, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I need to uh, take a picture of that or draw that out. And then I'll compile them later and be like, that was the starting point. But usually, so here's, here's my belief is that all our language is rooted in imagery. Like what we're using our words, we're trying to convey something we're seeing inwardly or outwardly, right? Inwardly, our thoughts, our feelings, concepts, outwardly describing what we're seeing around us. So what we're doing is we're, we're offering pictures to one another. Uh, now, uh, I think what transformation is, is when somebody uh, is offered a different inner image than the one they have there now. Because often they'll go, oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're Interesting. saying. Interesting, yeah. You know, why, why right. do you say it's, I see I what see. you're saying? It's, you know, well, sometimes people, I hear what you're saying, but we'll say, I see what you're saying. Because what we're seeing is like, oh, I've replaced this picture. So really, like, I, and this actually happened because I, I did say yes, probably like the fourth time in Portland, kind of in front of my, in mostly friends, which is weird to just do something in front of your yeah. friends. And a few days later, uh, my friend Zach and Amy were over for dinner. And I remember I said, Amy, what do you remember from the show? And she goes, I remember that you laid down, which is kind of like the end, the death practice. And I was like, perfect, because that's kind of what the whole show is about. And what ha what hit me was like, oh, really? You know, because we've all had this experience. We've all heard somebody talk for a really long time. If you listen, If you go listen to a speech for over an hour, it's very hard to remember. You might remember like a few things they said, but you, you, you'll forget most of what was said. But you, if they offered visuals, you'll definitely remember like the visuals. So then for me, I was like, oh, this is a delivery system for visuals. And I need to really pay attention to kind of what images I want to replace or what images I want to like give to people to help remember what I'm, what I'm offering them. Um, and that, so that, that is just kind of my own, uh, mission in, in anything I do is to go, I'm going to try to give some kind of picture. And we, you know, this is common in like speech class and stuff like what's a, what's a visual you'll give the audience, you know, do an on, but I just like illustrate it or make it on a canvas or something like that. So a lot, all my talks have a lot of visuals in it because I'm like this, I'm trying to give you a different image to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so, so then, I, then that's just the creative process of like, how would we image that? We can go to metaphor, we can go to symbols, we could go to like shapes and colors, movement. It just depends what it is. Um, give, me, give me an example of something that's in your show right now. It's a visual yeah. that took some work to get there and you're like, yes. So uh, one of the things that has really helped me. Okay. So the first argument so in Say Yes, I confront three arguments that led me to like depression or suicidal ideation. One was nothing's, nothing's ever going to change. Nothing can change. You're going to be in this miserable moment for the rest of your life. So 
what my counter argument to that or my practice against that was realizing that like um that is just a narrative and i had moments where the narrative would stop which means oh if a narrative can stop that means it's not real it's just a narrative and you can sub a different narrative in um and how the moments what I we call so I'm like we call these moments where the narrative stops moments of wonder and I talk about wonder like different moments for me like being at a concert being in nature uh one time I tell this funny story of like Holly and I camping in Idaho in one of the darkest places in America drinking too much having to pee and like walking out of our tents and like the sky was crazy and like and I just say, like, I grown up in my whole life in cities where there's a standard 16 stars out every night. <laughs> and like what the night sky looks like where there's no light is insane. And it filled me with wonder. I mean, and pee, I was full of pee too. So, but I had to go to the bathroom and then I looked. And, I, and what I say is like, uh, we should go do all these things. But so I was like, what's the common denominator between all of these things? The common denominator is you. Because wonder is not an exterior destination. Wonder is an interior filter you learn to look at life through. And it's, that filter is most easily accessible to us in new situations because we don't have narratives about it. And, I, uh, and the image I give is a person looking through a kaleidoscope. Hmm. You know, kaleidoscopes are the long shaft and at the end is like a wheel that has, you know, they usually put jewels or something in there. And I section them all up and I, I have the words wonder spelled out and all the things. So you're looking at it and it's like changing the perspective. So that's, so when I say that like wonder is an interior filter that you learn to look at life through, I have this picture of this person looking through this kaleidoscope and that just stays up as I talk about wonder about having, because like I, and, and then the, the thing I say is like after college, I backpacked in Europe and we would have this experience where we'd get off the train and we'd be like, oh, this is the most beautiful city I've ever seen in my life. And then two days later, we'd be like, I'm so bored. Let's go to another city that'll probably be the most beautiful city I'll ever see in my life. And I was like, what changed? Did the city change? No, we got familiar with it. And familiarity is what kills wonder because it's about building narratives and stuff like that. Anyways, that's so that's an image that I just have of this kaleidoscope. So when do you go to that image? Huh? Like, do I see it the first time that you say wonder? Do you explain... Do you explain why it's a kaleidoscope or that's just for the audience to figure out? It's just for the audience to figure out. I mean, it says wonder on the yeah. kaleidoscope so you can get, get it. Yeah, I don't often take the time to explain the picture. I just offer it to the words that I'm saying at the same time. Um, so on for Say Yes, I have a big screen, a canvas, and a microphone. And for me, all of those are communicating at the same time. So I take time to work on each one. Hmm. And, you know, the, the big screen's so memorized now that I have a remote um, and my laptop is plugged in somewhere else. And I'm just like, like just without, you know, without pointing it so people know yeah, that yeah, I'm yeah. changing slides, I'm just like hitting it and it's changing behind me. And every now and then I have to check in and make sure I'm on the right slide, yeah. you know, like, uh, but I have it pretty down to when I know like on the words that I'm saying things. In fact, I've done this thing like 95 times and I'm making two new slides. Cause I was like, you know what? I should have a slide for this thing that I say. 
because I think it'd be helpful for people to give like a little more um, info on that of what, yeah, anyways, yeah. give them some visual info on what we're saying. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's joke slides in there and stuff. Like I have one about making, I, I have a whole thing about like being obsessed with the end of the world. And I, I talk about my own experience in a certain kind of religious community that was obsessed about when Jesus was going to come back, which is the end of the world and, and how that is all. And I, and I just talk about like how the, <laughs> the, the underscore of that is just that like, Jesus is going to be like, man, you guys have been messing this place up. Hey, I'll stay here and I'll clean it all up for you, you know? And so, and then I was like, so what we did is we made Jesus a cosmic janitor. And so I have this like very standard picture of Jesus, but he's got like a janitor's bucket and a mop and he's like mopping it up. So I have just like funny things like that to like led to the humor. I could say we made Jesus a cosmic janitor to deal with our lack of responsibility as image bearers on this planet. And some people might have an idea of what that looks like, but in that case, I'm really just pushing it and being like, yeah, you made, you made, you made the King of Kings, your janitor. Yeah. The slide helps humanity's janitor. The slide helps the joke. When is it? And some people will go, Ooh, you know, and, and for me, it's, it's great. Uh, Cause that's like, that's the thing I want to push on. When is it? When is it time to change part of the show? Or like you mentioned, like, Oh, I need two new slides. Uh, I mean, and I wanted to end the show like last year <laughs> and like just people still are asking me to do it. In fact, I'm doing it in Tacoma, Washington, which is south of Seattle Thursday. My friend Kyle, who lives up in Seattle, he was like, when are you going to do it up in Seattle again? I was like, dude, I've done it like four times in Seattle. And he goes, yeah, but every one of them has been sold out. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, do you know how long you could sell out a show in Seattle before it stopped selling out? I was like, I don't actually. He's like, do you want, I was like, Oh, maybe I should, maybe I should see what that. Well, okay. And that, that's a good push for me. Cause I just, I'll, I'll be like, you do one thing, one time at one city and that's it. And, and this thing keeps evolving where it's like, Oh, maybe I can do it multiple times in a city and multi, and people would come. I mean, I've had people come to this thing like four times. And they're like, I get something new out of it every time. So um, when do you add things? Maybe it's, maybe it's to keep myself interested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's also just kind of like going, oh, I can see there's a gap. Well, I had, I had, I, you know, kind of built this thing and then I got a book deal and I had to stop doing this thing during COVID because we weren't getting together and I wrote it as a book. And there were some things in the writing it as a book process that made me go, oh, I need to. I needed to change two parts significantly because of what I learned from writing the book. And so I had to go through. So when I started doing it again, I like had to re-memorize certain parts and, and it, and struggle through like figuring out how to say it. So now that I figured out how to say one spot, I was like, Oh, this could really use a picture to help understand the difference between, uh, because what I say is like what we're being offered is to walk our path of desire that we have. But in order to do that, we're going to have to let our dream die because a dream is a version of our lives that we never brought our weaknesses and limitations to. We never brought our phone. Why a dream dies is because we can't live a real life without our vulnerabilities. And a dream is a version of your life without vulnerabilities. 
And it took me a while to figure out how to say that succinctly. And now that I have, I was like, you know, a picture. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I should try to figure out a picture for that. So that's like my next. It's on my list. Mike, look right here. There's a list of things to do. One's right here. And the other. Yeah. yeah. So it's that. It keep, I guess it keeps me engaged. I don't know where that goes to, but it's just like, okay, like keep this going. Um, yeah. I think it's really smart. I mean, we've had some people on. Gloa Tanmo talks about she does a new show every single time, new speech every single time. Uh, now, that doesn't mean new from scratch, of course, right? Like, I'm sure there yeah. are stories that yeah. she drops in there that are consistent, but uh, she feels like that keeps her on her toes as a presenter. On the other mm-hmm. end, I did, I did talk to a famous speaker one time who... I saw him speak and I was I was all excited. Having seen his talk before, I was all excited for this joke. And I like elbowed the person next to me, like my friend, not a stranger, but my friend sitting next to me. I'm like, oh, he's about to say blah, blah, blah. And he just didn't say it. And I went to talk to him afterwards and not in an accusatory manner, but I did. I was like, hey, why did you not say that joke? And he said, I know it gets laughs, but I am so tired of that joke. So isn't that amazing? Oh, no. Like the thing that originally made oh, you high yeah. about the talk was that joke. And he's like, I can't. I would rather I would rather this part end with a period, no laughter, no positive vibes for the audience. Like that's that's what can happen if you let the thing get stale. Oh, always stuck with. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Why couldn't you like push the joke deeper? You know, like if you got bored with a joke, I have a joke that I don't feel works very well and I've been trying to figure it out and I just I did it to a small group. And so I had to. I couldn't do the punch on it that I usually do. And by like saying, having to do it differently, I was like, oh, maybe this is kind of finally <laughs> finding what the, j- what the joke is. I want to call, I only know one professional comedian. I was like, I should just get a hold of him and be like, help me with this joke. I can't figure it out. Yeah, I think the thing, I think, again, it's talking about this embodiment. I, I, I think it's, I used to be in a culture which was is like church culture where you'd spend all this time working on a talk that you're going to do one time and then you scrap it yeah. all and you throw it and you move on to the next thing. And there's something, there is something great about that. I've really enjoyed learning how to take something and then really hone it into one thing. Um, I remember when I was starting to develop Say Yes and I'd done it like six times and I was doing this event with my friend Justin McRoberts, who I've done a couple of shows or a couple of books with. And we were driving. We had spoken at this university and we were driving. And I was like, I think I should just take, I was telling him about it. I was like, I think I should just take all this, go back to the writing room, which is just a room at my house. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, right, you know, right. I was like, I should just take this and then write it all out and then come back with it. And he goes, no, I think you should work this out in front of people. He was like, I want to encourage you to just kind of like figure it out with your audience. And so what I did for probably, I think for like 30 times I had at the beginning, I would just be like, this is a work in progress. This is how I'd start the show. I'd be like, this is a work in progress. And if you came here tonight expecting to see something perfect, then the gift I have for you is that you're better than me. (laughs) like and that just yeah and that it just kind of gave it to be it gave me freedom to go i might have to look at my notes i might have to stop and go that's not what i'm trying to say what am i trying to say and you know what 
in an age of polishnessness, polishnessness, let's say that's a word. Uh, I think it's very fast. I think people love that. I have loved being at comedy shows or like when I see a comedian, like look at their notes and, or like, oh no, let's try that again. I love, no, let's try that again. I love that. It's like, yes, that's, yes, I love it. Or, or they just fling the index card away. That's another one I love. Nope. Done with that joke. Like, I love how ruthless they are. Yeah, we all we've all seen I mean, we've all seen a polished it, and you you know you don't want to go to the symphony and see them working it out like you don't want to you know although it might be interesting if they stop and be like no 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 Carl you're not getting that you know I don't know what but I think we're at an age where people love seeing the process so in fact this happens I'm sure you've t- talked about it. In fact, thinking about doing another one, starting from scratch is like, why is it always so terrifying? It's always like, I know people, I know I'm selling out shows, but nobody's going to want to come and see me do a new thing. You know, like that's just the thing you tell you. And I was like, no, that's not true. You know, maybe you just book smaller places and maybe you go, hey, I'm working this out and I need people to do this with. And you're, and they get excited. You know, people who want to come and see me would be like, oh, I would love to come and see you work this out. You know, and you could have fun with it. For me, that's how I, for me, I'm always like, what would be fun? You know, how would, what would be fun? In Say Yes, I get somebody from the audience to be a heckler before the show. I have a, I have a list. I have a list of requirements. I need to get 28 volunteers before the show can start. And so as people are coming in and stuff, like in the audience, walking around, uh, asking people to participate, but I always look for a kind of a person who would possibly be a trigger for me uh, visually because they represent something that happened to me long ago. And so I go to them and I just, I, and I have a script for them and everything. And I tell them, I set them up. I'm like, this is when you're going to stand up and heckle me. This is, and basically like, because we're going to talk about the voice of giving up. And when we talk about like voices you know, they can be, they can remain like vague and ethereal. So it's really helpful to like put some clothes on your fear, give it a name, talk to it. So I am bought, I have somebody embody my fear in public speaking, which is somebody standing up and going, excuse me. I, I, I know here, I'll just say, this is what it says. Excuse me, excuse me, young man. Um, I actually have a PhD in psychology in a master's of divinity and I'm a relative of Leonardo da Vinci. So I know her to a thing about creativity. Um, and I'm listening to you talk and I know it's entirely rude to stand up and in- interrupt this talk, but, uh, and so my apologies to the audience, but I, everything you're saying is wrong and you should feel ashamed of yourself from lying to this kind audience. That's it. And then they sit down <laughs> and, and then I play along like they're doing it and every, and, you know, a good majority of the audience is like, what is happening? And I give like a couple beats and I go, so that's my greatest fear in public speaking is a moment <laughs> just like that. And it becomes like the joke of the night and everybody has a big laugh. And then at the end of the night, when I'm, I'm saying, thank you. I say, thank you to our question answerers. Thank you to our karaoke stars. Thank you to our resident a-hole. We appreciate your contribution. <laughs> like, and it becomes, it becomes really funny to like, have to deal with your greatest fear in public speaking, even though I'm controlling it, you know, I am 
facing it in some ways. So, that, and I let people, I let people embody it how they want. I'm like, here's a script, but the beats are, I'm smarter than you. Everything you're saying is a lie. You should be ashamed of yourself. I was like, you can go, you can do that however you want. And people get into it. Like, and often I have to say, like, I set that up and yet I was still afraid. Gosh. <laughs> like I was nervous. I'm I so mad I haven't seen this show someday. Um, well, hopefully we're going to get a good recording of it and you'll be able to see it one day. Yeah. Or, you know, it'd be fun for you to be there for sure. Uh, Scott, one more question and then we'll move into our last one. So I know that you've taught public speaking before in some capacity. You've done that at universities. You've helped people go from, I don't know, kind of boring informational type speeches to things that have more personality, have more energy to them. I know you've got three things that you try to teach people, right? So it's, what is it? It's obscurity, convergence, transformation, which I, I feel like is personalization. Walk us yeah. through those three things. Yeah. Um, so obscurity, and and I don't know if you can learn this until, I mean, it really is something that the life will just do to you. I found myself after you know, doing a lot of things at a time in my life, I wasn't involved in anything. And I literally had a studio. My friends ran this like church in downtown and they had this like basement and they're like, you can take a spot. So I like built this studio in a basement, no windows. They kept the trash down there once a week. So I was like in a cave. This is very like, (laughs) like I was in a cave by myself in obscurity and it was interesting being in that basement, not being involved in anything. The conversation in the cave is, what do you want to say? Do you have anything you want to talk about? And as I sat with that question, I started charting out like the things that, mess, that meant that were important to me, the things I wanted to, to go after, the ways I wanted to do that. Um, because in obscurity, you'd, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're like, you're not losing any. You've already lost, or you know. So I was just like, "Here's how I want to talk. Here's what I want to talk about, and then I want to do it this way." And when I started embracing those things, that's why like people know my work now is because I said, "This is how I want to do it. This is what I want to talk about." So obscurity, or you know, you could, there's other bigger metaphors of like the desert or the wilderness, whatever gets, whatever pushes you out and where you kind of find yourself and you find that place in yourself to stand. Um, so that, that, that's really helpful. And I don't know how you do that, but life will just push you there. So just get ready to have that conversation. And then it kind of leads into convergence. And this is really more helpful in like kind of developing. And then how do you bring your own unique voice? I think we all have heard these stories of like this Japanese calligrapher spent 30 years to get this one brush stroke perfect, you know, and yeah, yeah. we've heard these things, yeah. you know, so there can be this kind of lament, like I'm never going to be a master of anything. Well, that is true because now today you need to know a lot of different things to do something. Um, and all industries have changed because of that, but here's what you become a master of. So if you can imagine like a circle with various, not like a, imagine like a bunch of different points around the circle and then they're like lines going together. So you have this like cross section. What we become a master of is not necessarily one thing, but how the many things we know how to do come together uniquely in ourselves. That's that cross section of, 
And I like to say those are the things you love. They don't necessarily like, I know how to do my taxes and I know how to take up the garbage. It's like, it's more like, what do you love? What are your loves? And then how do you uniquely bring that together? So, and I have many stories, but like I, when I was developing my first one man show, I didn't know how to do one scene. And I literally was like, well, what am I good at? And I remember the story that one time I was, well, I went to school in England for a while. A friend of mine was at Oxford University. I went and visited her. And then I went out to this bar with her and five of her friends and karaoke was going on. And I did Ice Ice Baby backed up by six American girls. And I won the whole karaoke contest. And I won 50 pounds and it paid for my bus ticket. And I, as I was sitting there going, what am I good at? I was like, well, I did win a karaoke contest one time. <laughs> and I love karaoke. And I was like, well, what if I did this scene as a karaoke song? Like I, bar- I brought somebody from the audience and we sang a song, which is about this thing. And then I was like, what song? And then it was Bohemian because it was about despair, which is a hard thing to talk about. And then I was like, well, Bohemian Rhapsody is kind of like the best song about despair. You know, nothing really matters. And we can see nothing really matters to me. So I, and I, so I had like wigs hidden and in all this kind of, and I made up jokes during the whole thing. And anyways, now quite often I make up my own like karaoke scenes and kind of everything I do, I like bring a moment of karaoke because it, it changes what we think we're doing. It brings a stranger up. We have this interaction. So so now people, when they, they come and see my stuff, they're like, we're probably, are we going to sing karaoke? You know, it's like, so I brought uniquely things I love together into that. That's what I become a master of. The things that you and love the last, and the things that you're good at come together. Things you love, things show. you're good at, things you want to get better at. Yeah. Like, so I always try to have a canvas on stage to try to do a drawing or something like that. And then the last one, personalization uh, the question I'm always asking inwardly when I listen to a speaker is like, why are you doing this speech? Like not because you're knowledgeable or because it's your job, but like, why are you like, how has this information been embodied in your life? Because that's why I assume you're up here. I want you to tell me how this information transformed you because speeches are a, a communicating how we can be transformed. And if you like, and I'll, I'll put this in my experience in like religion, I've listened to a lot of preachers and often it's like, it's because their job and it's just the verse they're supposed to read this weekend. But I'm like, find somebody else to do this talk. Cause if it hasn't like, if this hasn't transformed you, then get somebody else. They should be up here, you know? And that, for me, it's always like, and as an artist, if you want to like transform people, you have to be willing to go through the transformation first. So I've brought that same thing to like when I'm doing a talk, if like I have to do it, I signed up for a speech in July, an hour long talk at a camp for uh, families with disabled kids, like somebody in the family is disabled. I, it's an organization called Hope Heals. I love them. They're amazing. And I've done their camp a couple times, but I've done the same content a couple times. Now I'm like, I got to do something new. So I'm already like going, oh, in six months, five months, I have a talk, you know, and I'm starting to go what, and I have some ideas of what I want to do, but it's like now begins the transformation. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm going to start in the transformation that eventually I will present to them five months from now. 
So I, so I have to begin that transformational journey. That's, that's, so that's how I think about it. Why? Yeah, I so love that. It, it is something you got to go through too. Yeah. Find someone else to give this talk because you haven't been transformed by it. Yeah. You need to be speaking about things that you've been transformed by, or I would say the subversion of that, the second layer of that. Like Roman numeral would be like 1A. The other version yeah. of that is, uh, or you've helped someone be transformed by it. Even if it wasn't yeah. you, I would, I would feel like that, that might be a way to get in. Yeah. Or you've witnessed, yeah, you yeah. witnessed it, something. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you saw something happen, and that's why you're there talking about it. We all just have a really good BS radar where, we've, where we can sniff out a fake, where somebody's giving a talk, and you're just like, I don't believe you. Yeah, you, haven't, you have no <laughs> real connection with this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. really it. It's just like, how do we, you want to listen to somebody you believe that they're, what they're saying is true. I think yeah. anybody giving a talk should answer that question for themselves. Why are you the one giving this talk? Yeah. Why are you? And, and, you know, just to like, we could side note a little thing. Like one of my friends is a professional pastor. So he writes a lot of talks and he's the per first person I call when I'm working a talk out. I'll be like, can I work this talk out with you? And one of the things that we found just through doing this together is like, so often you're given in religion or like Christianity, you're given like a sacred text and like talk about this sacred text. And sometimes you're just like, I don't know what to say about the sacred text. In fact, I don't even like this sacred text. I don't like that it sounds like this. And we found that actually going, you can start a talk by going, here's this thing and I don't like it. Let me tell you the reasons I don't like it. I don't like it for this. I don't like it for this. I don't like it for this. In fact, the last thing I want to do is talk about this thing because it does all these things. You can start, you can have a talk about something about what you don't like about it. And then that leads you into like, so what do we do with this? Do we just throw it away? Yeah. Or maybe is it the way that I'm observing this, these words or the call? What if, is there a piece of this that I'm not seeing? Let me tell you about the journey about finding that piece that switched the whole thing for me. Boom. All of a sudden there's a talk there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's the journey is like, I didn't like this thing and I wanted to throw it away. But before I did, I said, maybe there's something else I need to know. And then all of a sudden, oh, now yeah. it revealed this whole thing. And you can You're, still get at the end and be like, and I'm never going to talk about this again because I just still don't like it. But it's there, you know, like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, well, because what you're doing is you're presenting from to, you're presenting from position of empathy. That That's where yes. it works. Yeah. Yes. Empathy instead of so you can do you can you can approach subject matters, truths, concepts from lots of different angles, skepticism, joy, enthusiasm. <laughs> regret <laughs> malaise you know whatever it's like because that is part of that is that is a transformational process it's like i went from this viewpoint to then this viewpoint i went from this feeling to this feeling there's something really interesting about that if you are i guess i'm i'm thinking of like church but this doesn't have to be a church example actually here's an example it's not church i just saw this it's at a really big conference they were talking about culture and the the presenter is like a total finance guy. Just that, the truth is in the numbers. And he talks about how he didn't really care that much for culture. And then the whole talk is walking through his experience of learning that culture matters and connecting it back to finance. And that back to finance concept worked really well. And there you go with your convergence. Let's just, what, what, we could just be like, I I don't like coyotes. They are loud and obnoxious. They kill our neighborhood cats. Coyotes suck. Why do coyotes exist? 
Oh, and then they learn about ecosystems and you're like, oh, and then they're descendants of like wolves. And then they're like, oh, you know, and then you're like, oh, okay, now I understand why. And then I live on coyote land. Oh, wait a minute. I'm in, they're my neighbors. I don't know. I'm just making it up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you can start with the premise, like, I don't like this. And then, but then through learning, knowledge, empathy, I can understand this thing. I don't like it a greater context. Yeah. That's the journey of transformation. Scott, we have time for uh, two last things. Number one is a Scott Erickson speaking tip. It's fine if you mentioned something you said before, but it's also fine to say something new. Uh, here's, here's, here's the thing that I say most consistently whenever I get nervous before a talk or anything like that. I just say four things. Four things. Number one, I went through something. I, I, something happened to me. Number two, by talking about it, it, it helps me process and heal from that experience. Number three, by talking about it publicly and telling our stories publicly, it helps others heal and process their own lives too. And then number four, you want to be a public speaker and this is how it feels to be a public speaker. <laughs> it just, it, it, for me, it just, it just goes, it's okay if you feel nervous. That's part of the job. Uh, it just, it just, it humanizes or just goes, yeah, this is an okay feeling. If you feel insecure, you feel nervous, this is part of it. So I went through something, something happened to me. By talking about it, it helps me process and heal. By talking about it with others, it helps them process and heal things that happen to them in their own life that they might find solidarity. And four, this is a normal feeling in being a public speaker. I and love that, it because you're, you're embodying empathy in that whole thing. It's, yeah. I went through this. Uh, I want my audience to go through it in some way. And I, I, um, I understand it so I can lead you along the way. And you don't have to go through every last up and down the way that I did. Yeah. You know, and I went through this, like often imposter syndrome or whatever we get insecure about is like, well, who am I to talk about this? Yeah. You know, I went through this is giving yourself authority because authority doesn't have to be a degree, although right. that is a symbol of going through this, you know? So it's like, sure, I'm not an expert on psychology, but I know what it's like to lose somebody. Right. And I know what it's like to have those conversations. I can take, so I've been through something. You know, it's, it's, it all can start from like, I, something happened. I went through something, you know, it gives authority. That's where yeah. we're starting from. It's like, why would I be up here to talk? It's like, well, I went through something. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. I went through something. Mm -hmm. Love yep. it. All right, buddy. Last thing. Someday you'll be on the moth. It's my prediction. <sighs> I want to. Might not be tomorrow, but uh, you love stories. <laughs> we always end with telling a story. So what is the, uh, what's the Scott Erickson story that we should hear? Well, uh, it's definitely a story in the process. And a friend of mine has been on the moth and she was like, I'll help you with the story. But like, so I, uh, I was on the prices, right? I went to the prices, right? In 1999 with Bob Barker and I got called up and, uh, the story is cause so many interesting things happen, but a, a good story isn't telling everything that happened. Um, my friend was like, well, and the interesting thing about the moth is she was like, they don't want you to have a conclusion. They don't want to be like, so here's what I learned. They just want you to tell what happened. And the story we came up with was like, I had prepared my whole life to be on The Price is Right because I watched it growing up. I knew. And then in the moment when I'm on it, everything I learned failed me. <laughs> <laughs> I got all the numbers wrong. <laughs> like I only really won by 
chance or other people guessing wrong worse than I did, you know? And so I, I was a grand prize winner on the prices, right? From nothing I really did. Your grand prize winner, well, like my, you got well, the my, new car and the vacation to Las Vegas or whatever. Well, it was? I, I lost my, I lost my showcase, but then I went and spun oh. the wheel, and I got a ninety on my first spin, which is chance. But I beat everybody else out, and then I went to the showcase showdown. I got past the, you know, the lesser tough, tough break. Yeah. I got all the trips and uh, couch and or grandfather clock, and uh, the but the guy overbid. And I un I underbid by quite a bit, but the guy overbid, so I won by default. Yeah, and then I, you know, my parents have the grandfather clock. I went to Rio de Janeiro, saw a dead body, almost got robbed. You know, and that was it. <laughs> it was a great experience. Okay, let's workshop this for a second. There are a lot of things in here. Here, here, here would be my suggestions. So I think. First of all, this is probably a longer story. I don't mean like 15 minutes, but longer than a minute. And I, I think it needs to be at some point we need a flashback of Scott sitting there watching TV in his college dorm or wherever and just being a yep. total know-it-all and just being like, oh, how's he not how, know how much carrots cost? Right. Like just saying those things to the yeah. TV. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're you're actually on the show. Yeah. Uh, Scott in his college dorm room is talking to Scott who's on stage and he's like, yeah, yeah, everybody does this wrong. You got to do this on Plinko and then that doesn't work and this doesn't work. Miraculously, yeah. you get to spin the wheel. We want to see you on stage spinning the wheel. I want to I want to hear the little like the noise of the like ch -ch 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 -ch, as it keeps spinning around. Oh, it has handles on the side. You never see the handles because you see it only from one side. And they have these big, I, I was surprised. I was like, look at these huge bars. So I, I, I did do what I always wanted to do was jump as high as I could on the wheel and pull it down. Yes. And I did a jumping we spin. We need to see that. I did That's... do a jumping spin. <laughs> we need to see that. We need to hear some of your dialogue with strategy because that's such a relatable thing. And people, everybody who's ever watched the show has had the strategy, the $1 thing, the, yeah. you know, like your final, what, the showcase showdown, like where they come up with that number. Uh, I want to hear yeah. you like calculating. I want to spend a lot of time in your head in that story. Oh, that's I should be taking notes on this. I'll call you later because I want to. Yeah. I want to hear all this. Uh, Scott, this has been really fun. We need to develop that story more. We'll have you on again with a fully developed story. Where can Great. people learn more about you? Follow you? Buy tickets to your show? Where should they go? Uh, my website is Scott Erickson Art. Dot com. Uh, I'm Scott the Painter on all socials, mostly on Instagram and links in there, uh, shows and all that stuff. Say Yes is still doing stuff nationwide. And uh, yeah, so and here we go. And it's Hope Erickson with a K, everyone. So E-R-I-C-K. Uh, no, C-K. Yeah, yeah. Both. We put both of those consonants in. in. Yeah. yeah. Scott, you are a gem, my friend. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Love you, Mike. It's been great. Right back at you, buddy. Bye. Hey, everyone. The Best Speech Podcast has been hosted by me. That's Mike Pacquion. It's been lightly edited by Alicia Ostiano and produced. The music that you're hearing, that's by Jonah Rainey. Until next time, do good things out there, my friends.